Last year, I attended the Great Northern. This festival, for me, was a stuff of dreams. It brings awareness to the the creativity that exists here in Minnesota and also to the changes that we're experiencing here in terms of climate. The festival takes place January 25th through February 4th and has new and exciting programming. And I thought, who better to bring on to We Do This For Fun than the festival's new executive director, Jovan Speller-Rebeliar. Jovan will be here to chat with you and let you know about all the festival's ongoings and what you can expect this year, and give us a really great tutorial on seasonal living. Enjoy. Coming to you from Minneapolis, Minnesota, a conversation about the great and sometimes not so great outdoors. I'm your host, Jody Gruen, and we do this for fun. Do you hear the quiet introspection of winter calling? Our ever-shifting seasons give us new opportunities to connect with nature, and we want to help you. We offer you two gifts, the following podcast, overflowing with wisdom from seasonal living connoisseur, Jovan speller Rebellar, and the gift of sauna and all of the benefits it brings. So grab something to write this down. Sauna for fun. That's all lowercase, sauna for fun, for 15% off 60 and 90 minute steam sessions at the Great Northern Sauna Village. This offer is good through December 31st. Share this code and book sessions with friends and family. Share it with everyone. Sauna for fun. We want to help you find your rhythm this season. In our fast-paced modern world, many of us have become distracted from the rhythms of the earth, the seasons, and the profound impact they have on our physical and emotional well-being. What if there was a way to harness the power of nature's cycles to live a more harmonious, healthy, and mindful life? Who better to share that with us than someone who embraces living within nature's ebb and flow in both their personal and professional life? Jovan Speller, Rebel Yar, yes, yes, artist, homesteader, and the executive director of the Great Northern Festival. Welcome to We Do This for Fun. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great introduction. How about we just start with the idea of seasonal living? Um, I was thinking about it this morning because I put on my uniform, which is turtleneck and wool socks. And sometimes I'm like, oh, that's my seasonal living practice. And I think that mm-hmm. is part of seasonal is living, but there's a lot more to it, isn't there? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm wondering if you might want to give us yeah. kind of what the idea of seasonal living is and kind of maybe comparison, give it, give a comparison between traditional, like a ch- traditional mm-hmm. lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that for me, and I do think though, that it manifests in people's lives differently mm-hmm. um, and to different extremes, right? Like there are definitely, there's definitely a, a spectrum of seasonal living and of what's possible within seasonal living, depending on where you are, depending on your geography and what you have access to. Um, but for me, seasonal living, I think of as really following that rhythm, following the rhythm of um, each season of nature, slowing down when nature slows down, right? Like nature can become dormant. And so what does that mean for us? It doesn't mean that we hibernate, right? We still have bills to pay and and work to do and kids to rear, right? Um, So we can't fully kind of hibernate and retreat and freeze the way that nature does, especially in cold climate. But I do think that there is um, a part of each season that is kind of like key to its identity. And so if you can embody the identity of each season of that kind of key core identity of each season, then how much more in flow can you be with, with your natural surroundings and with your, you know, your circadian rhythm, your, your personal practice of being alive and with the world. Right. So 
I can kind of give an example. I think the best example I think is like food, you know, food and yeah. cooking. My and, right? Subject, yes. My favorite, we could, this yeah. is this whole yes. episode yeah. will be food. Um, <laughs> so for me, right. The winter, um, it's when you, you get soups and stews and your meals become a little bit heavier, a little, you know, creamy and like, you know, a little bit more dense. Um, and I think that there's like, there's, there are reasons for that, but when you go to the grocery store, like everything that you saw in the summer is there, like everything from the summer is there and available to you. Um, and I think that that is kind of that, um, the difference between living seasonally and kind of living more traditionally and, you know, um, having the privilege to have access to everything all the time. Right. So if you're thinking, I know that tomatoes really pop and are flavorful in the summer. Um, and actually I have just like pounds and pounds and pounds and pounds of tomatoes right now. So uh, apparently in the fall as well, though they're, they're green right now and they're in my cold room, ripening. Um, and then I'll make, you know, tomato paste and, and sauce and, and all of those things, um, to, to make it last through the fall winter to enjoy later. But when you're having something fresh and in the moment, it has like a lifespan, you know, it's available temporarily, you know? Um, and so I don't like to buy tomatoes and strawberries and other things like that in the winter. I think that they, first of all, they're not local. And so I don't, um, get the richness of, um, and the biodiversity that my body needs to be healthy. Right. I don't get those things from, from having a tomato that was shipped from wherever else uh, from a climate that I don't live in. That doesn't benefit my body in this place right now. Right. Um, it's filler. Maybe it satisfies a taste, a craving, but it doesn't help me be in harmony with, with myself, with nature and, and what connects us. Right. So, um, so those are, that's just like, a food example. I could really spend an hour on this <laughs> one topic. I have a lot of thoughts and feels about it for sure. Um, for sure. But, um, but yeah, so I think that in general, it is about kind of following those rhythms and identities of each season. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell you that I made a giant mistake last night. I, we ran out of coffee, so I ran out late grab some coffee. And then I'm doing, um, I'm doing a cooking class today. And Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, I'd really like to have some raspberries to go with this like mousse thing that I made. And they are disgusting. They are so gross. Like I just, I bought them and I just, I don't, I I knew that they probably wouldn't be great, but I'm like, it's going to be on top of something, but they're actually, they, they taste terrible. So they taste terrible. They taste, they're like tasteless half the time. Yeah. Right. Like I had had frozen raspberries the day before and they were delicious compared to these. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that also like frozen food kind of has a bad rap a little bit, I think, you know, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Right. And I, and I, and I get it, you know, I don't know the whole, you know, um, how food gets to the store frozen like that. Like I get that, but like, I do think that is worthwhile to explore, you know, methods of freezing your, you know, either whether that's the farmer's market, you know, like, you know, that it, it, like that food happened in real time that, you know, like whether it's the farmer's market purchases of produce or it's from your garden or a friend's garden or whatever, a CSA, you know, I do think like exploring practices of not only canning and, and drying, but of freezing like are worthwhile because like you said, that raspberry that was frozen in real time in that moment, you know, it's not that old. You just got it at the farmer's market, you know, you know, it was that week, probably it was that week at the oldest, you know? And so that, yeah, like preserving that flavor profile, like in the moment is, is important, you know, it was also picked at its ripe at at its point of ripeness, right? Like it was, it was harvested at the time that it was meant to be harvested, you know? And I do think, I mean, in general, like there is a time for everything and, and we have lost with, and there's, I have zero, nothing against technology and the evolution of civilization and culture, but we have lost a little bit of a lot of patience, 
you know, oh. and there's, you know what I'm saying? And I think that living seasonally is about practicing patience and is about practicing um, appreciation for, for what is available when it's available, right? And accepting when things are not available to you and shifting your way of life and being able to stretch your adaptability, you know, to be able to thrive, not just survive, but thrive at any time in any season. And if we practice seasonal living, then I think that also goes to strengthening our character and strengthening our kind of like emotional ability to handle extremes um, and handle difficult times because we will then become used to not having everything all the time, you know? Yeah. Like understanding that scarcity exists. Yeah. Hey, that's okay. There's something else in abundance for that period of time. Yeah. That was kind of one of the questions that I I wanted to ask you were kind of like the, the um, benefits of embracing seasonal living in terms of physical and mental well-being. That's one piece of it. Is there any other um, tidbits that you might have around that idea of physical and mental well-being and what seasonal living can bring to a person or what you've experienced? Yeah, I can talk about what I've experienced because I mean, you know, it is a journey. (laughs) It's a journey and it's, and I will fully admit it's a little bit of a journey of access, you know, as I move forward in my life um, and begin to have access to more opportunities um, that allows me to be able to design my life. You know, I wasn't always able to design my life. I was really in survival mode. Um, everything was scarcity. There was no, I had, I was no, there was no, um, question about the definition of scarcity and that scarcity existed, but it felt harmful. Like the scarcity that I was experiencing. And like a lot of people are experiencing, especially in this economy, that scarcity feels harmful. So, you know, when I felt my best and what I still carry forward now is, you know, this, the creativity and the cleverness, you know, involved in, um, in not having access to certain resources, like really flipping that, um, that mindset to ask, not, not only realizing, oh, I don't have this anymore. I don't have that anymore. What am I going to do? But saying like, well, what is here and what can I do with it? You know? So um, I'll say like, this has been like a big practice of mine. Like it's been like, it's, it's been a practice, yeah, a practice, right? A hard work, a practice. So appreciating the cold and the snow and the deep winter, having a relationship with that time of year in Minnesota, it's like six months long, right? Winter is half of the year. Um, so it doesn't make sense to retreat indoors um, and be, you know, afraid to go outside or because, you know, the the roads are slick and it's scary to drive or I'm afraid to slip or um, it's just generally uncomfortable, right? Um, <laughs> to be cold is uncomfortable. So, you know, I've been actually since I've started working with the Great Northern, and I will say this, like, you know, I started at the Great Northern Festival in as executive director in May, but I collaborated as an artist for since like 2021. So in pandemic times, also like had a newborn, like at the time. Um, and the question that the Great Northern brought to me was, how do you experience winter? That was like my que- the inquiry that they gave me as an artist, you know, to kind of create this site-specific installation. And I frankly told them that I do not. I do not experience <laughs> it. Thank you for asking. I do not. I was also going to say, that's a really big question. Yeah. I don't. I experience it through the window. I watch it occur. I, you know, I, I, I snuggle up with my favorite blankets. I mean, you know, this is also a practice, but this is, this was the answer. I don't, I watch winter. I don't experience it. I snuggle up with blankets. I make delicious food. You know, I spend time with family, um, indoors, 
And I, yes, that's it. I watch things happen outside. I allow, you know, I say bye-bye as my husband takes my kid outside to build snowmen and experience winter. I do not, right? (laughs) Any other questions, right? So that was, that was my response. And so then that became a challenge. Yeah. Like, you know, not only why not, you know, um, but, but it was like, you know, I said to myself, like, well, how did that serve you? You know, how does that serve you? Because then all you're doing is like battling wellness and mental, you know, mental wellness, right? Like the seasonal depression is even more real when you do not leave the house during a particular season. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I'm a homebody. I'm a homebody. I can be quite introverted. People don't generally believe that, but it's true. I love to be at home and just in my own routine and within my own projects. Um, so generally I'm fine, but there were still times where it was just very gloomy and, um, and I lacked any connection with the ground nature, you know, the outside world. So I did, I felt like I was missing something. So, you know, beginning in 2021, I started to challenge that it still started at home, but it became, okay, well, what's this like cold plunge about? What's this cryotherapy about? Like, how can I get my body to expand its ability to tolerate extreme temperatures, you know? And so that became a practice, a daily practice at home. Um, I still don't have like an actual cold plunge, but I like will jump into a freezing cold shower, you know, (laughs) and scream and tolerate it. But then after that, right after that, it's like exhilarating. And so that shift between like who I was before that cold exposure and who I was after those two people are different. Like those two people are different mentally and cellularly. Those two people are different. How, how, that, noticed, how, who, how are you different? It's like the, so the before was like, okay, I'm uncomfortable. I slept weird. My body aches. Right. Um, I have a little bit of brain fog. I, I'm not sure what I'm going to do today. I need to make a to-do list, you know, right. Like all of the things that we think when we rise Stuck for the day. Space. Stuck in that, stuck in it. And then I have trained myself to say, okay, you need some cold. Um, And so I jump in and I remember very distinctly the first time that I did this and I came out of that cold shower, I was like, (laughs) you know, it was Uh exhilarating. Uh It was like, I am alive. And I, there was this, um, this kind of like tingling in my low back where I hold a lot of pain. I have scoliosis and, you know, there's a lot of, I just experience a lot of pain in my hips and back. There was this tingling that was like, oh, this feels like that area has been nurtured and feels refreshed. Like that was the the word that came to mind at the time. Um, and I, my energy and mood just shifted to like ready for the day. So the brain fog fell away. And my body woke up and my muscles kind of engaged and began to support my frame. Like they were like, oh, we're here now, you know? Huh. Like it just needed that little like tap, tap, tap. Wake just, up. Yeah. Wake up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I always feel with the cold plunge too, that I feel one of my biggest sensations are similar to all of those, but also the accomplishment. Like it's like, oh, yeah. I've done something and I, because I've done something that most people don't do. Yeah. It's just a very, I don't know. It's just, it's a good. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And to start your day with the feeling of I've done something is it allows you to feel like the confidence that you need to, to handle the rest of your day and whatever comes at you. Um, You know, I, I feel like, especially in, in the winter, I used to feel like I haven't done anything today. I've gotten nothing done and, and I don't want to move and I don't want to do anything, you know? So if you start your day with something that kind of enlivens your body and spirit and mental ability, then you're like, okay, well, what's next, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
The other thing that I will say is, and I'm just starting to get to this part of the practice now, is that I'm 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 understanding like pace, you know, like the pace of each season. And winter is slow, you know, things are dormant, you're supposed to slow down. And I never really knew how to embody that. Right. Like I'm the primary provider for my family. I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old, you know, um, I'm also a practicing artist, you know, I'm, you know, I lead an organization and prior to this, you know, I was working as a program director, you know, um, giving out grants to artists. And so I, there was always a lot of pressure to provide and to be responsible and to take care of everything. Right. So like, how, how can you slow down within that? And I am just now arriving to how, like what that means and how, and it really is, it really is just understanding like time in a new way. Right. So I rise with the dawn and I try some days I actually accomplish this, but I try to go to sleep like around nine, nine thirty, no later than 10. Yeah. But I usually wake up pretty naturally around five 30. Um, in the summer that was seven 30. I, I just needed the extra time, <laughs> but now it's getting back to five 30, which has been great. Um, so I kind of watch the sun rise. I get my body kind of acquainted with the rhythm of the day, you know, but what that has meant was, is that I actually can't accomplish the number of things that I thought I could or that I used to, or that I would try to in a healthy way. Yes. I just, you know, so I, I, I've been, you know, trying to really get a hold of my, my, my schedule, my calendar. And, um, I've been using time blocking and all of these different tools to like, you know, like be organized and get things accomplished and then like, it didn't work. It didn't work. There were too many things. And I have, I do have a lot of responsibility. And so a lot of times I get unexpected calls or, you know, people need me in, in a way that I can't plan for, mm-hmm. whether that's my family or, or folks at work. Um, and so what that means is that I need to plan for less in my day to happen right? So that I can be available. So I have the spaciousness to be available to the people who need me. That's brilliant. It's like so simple. I mean, and it's very, um, it just makes sense, but I don't know if any of us think I, that just was kind of a revelation that you just threw on me. Like, well, because it, it feeds into, I mean, obviously capitalist society, but also like, I think, especially for women, like this perfection, like these perfect standards of being that we hold ourselves to. Like we constantly feel like we are in a space where we have to prove that we are able Mm -hmm. and more than capable, you know, and not only am I able and more than capable, but I could probably do it better and faster than you. So, you know, like we're constantly in this space of proving our value and at a certain point, we have to just say, like, I really don't, I'm, I don't have time and energy for that. And like, if you feel like I need to prove my value, that is a you problem, not as a me, not a me responsibility. That like me proving my value doesn't need to be added to my to-do list, right? So that means that I can, if I strip that away and don't accept that as my responsibility, then I can say, what is possible today for me, not only for me and the time that I have, but for how I'm feeling right now. Right. You know, how, okay. So how were you able, or how have you been able to strip that away? I feel like I would love to say, I'm going to do this. Can you Mm -hmm. give me like me or anybody listening, like some idea of how, like, sounds great. How do I do it? (laughs) Yes. I mean, okay. So there, this is like a multi-layered answer. Okay. Part of it is that I'm in, I've been doing a lot of professional development and like personal development. And, um, I've been working in a group called club hero that is like, you know, different executives that we get together and we talk pretty holistically 
about anything, whether that's um, investing to managing teens to living more holistic, full, mm. healthy lives, right? Mm. It's it's across the board, right? So so what what that how that translates is to either a like check out Club Hero, Club Thrive, right? Definitely highly recommend, and also um, led by Kate Stillman. By the way, you should talk to her. Oh, Huge yeah. outdoors person. Like yes, that would be an epic conversation, um, and also like find your people set. Mm. You need that support. And I am definitely an independent person who feels like I not only can thrive on my own, but should be able to. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a lot of women, you know, um, and a lot of people, you feel like we should thrive on our own. Um, Right. And not ask for help. And my problem was when I did ask for help, I didn't really get it. Or it wasn't the help that I needed or something like that. So, you know, I, I kind of stayed in this, like, forget it, I'll do it myself kind of, you know, frame. And, um, and now I've learned that that is because I need to shift my people set. Like there were, I wasn't surrounding myself with the right groups. And I think if you are a a self-reflective person, which you will be, if you live seasonally, if you are in harmony with your surroundings, with your ecosystem, you're always going to evolve with what is happening in the world around you. You're going to evolve. You know, you can't really not. So if you're constantly evolving, then that means that the people in your people set will need to constantly evolve too, right? Or you need to be a part of a group of people who are dedicated to that evolution, right? So that's why this kind of club setting works for me because we are all in the process of up-leveling our lives and our abilities, you know, like yeah. who we are yeah. um, as leaders, as parents as people. So, um, so, but if you can find the right people set and that might be one or two people who are on the same, um, you know, trajectory evolution as you, then that support kind of allows you to really hold yourself and each other accountable Yep. And question, like, so what's on your, t- like, if time is, is the issue, right? If you're, if you don't know how to slow down, um, you know, you're working three jobs and, you know, and like, that's what you have to do in order to provide and survive. Like figuring it out on your own is not really going to work. Yeah, but yeah. if you have a person or a group of people where you can be really vulnerable and talk about, you know, what is it? Tell me what you're doing what's on your to-do list. Okay. You have three jobs. Tell me about these three jobs. How much do you make with each of them and really break down, um, whether or not they're serving you or not. Like, is this formula of living serving you and what's the weakest link? Like what can you cut out and replace with something that is more, you know, that will serve you better, You, you know, whether that's, more time is actually the thing that you need. Uh, Rest is actually the the thing that you need. Like sleep might be more important than that extra hundred dollars that you're getting from that job. Like maybe, um, but you have people to, to expand that knowledge base and help you come up with solutions and, um, and figure out a better rhythm to living, to living your situation. Right. And really at the end of the day, it helps you uplevel your situation. Um, so that has really been help, helpful for me is finding the right group of people to help analyze and assess my situation and, and come up with better strategies, right? So that along with ex- living within the ebb and flow, like this up and down, right? That's what life is. I remember, so I don't know if you know this. So I took, um, I took a yoga teacher training course at Kripalu. So I'm like 200 hour, like yoga teacher, not that I teach, but, um, but during, during that uh, month long, um, training, there was, um, there was a presenter that, you know, had like one of those whiteboards and she drew kind of like a jagged line, you know, peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys up and down, and then a straight line underneath it. And, you know, she was like, okay, think about times where you've been in a hospital or seen, you know, this on a TV show, like, what do these lines signify? 
And so the up and down, jagged life, peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys, that's life. The straight line, that's flatlining, that's death, right? So accepting the reality that life will be hard, inevitably, like, period, it will be hard sometimes. Oh, you know, and then it will be great sometimes. Right. And then it will be hard and then it will be great. And then it will be hard and then it will be great. That is the pattern of life. Up, down, up, down, up, down. Right. Um, And if you desire a singular way of being, I just want to be stable. I'm tired of this trauma, this drama. I'm tired of all of these things happening all the time. You know, like that straight line that's death. That's not living. Right. So accepting that that was a natural part of life was really helpful, you know? So that has helped me like challenge and be challenge my preconceived notions and also orient toward the hard things. Like if I just naturally say like, yeah, things are going to be hard. Like, that's cool. Like I'm ready for it. What you got, you know, then, then it's not, so it doesn't hit as hard. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, there are still really hard things that I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I can't so like skiing. One of the, one of the things that I think that <laughs> listeners should probably know about you is that yeah. you do embrace hard things, even um, where you choose to live. Like you're not yes. in a condo in the North Loop. No. no. So no. I would love for you to maybe talk a little bit about, you know, your choice of yeah. your, 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 your choice of residence and geography yeah. in the state of Minnesota. Yeah. So I live in Osage, Minnesota, which is three and a half hours north of the Twin Cities and right outside of Park Rapids. And so like, I think this, my town has, I don't know, something like 260 people or something in it. And then Park Rapids might have like 1300 or something like that. Those numbers aren't exact, but that's just like, you know, kind of the scale of the towns. Um, the population of the towns that, that we, that surround us. So we decided to move. First of all, I've always wanted land. I've always wanted to grow things. I've always been interested in, you know, either homesteading, homesteading or hobby farming. I've studied permaculture since around 2008, very informally with different workshops and things like that. But, um, I even owned like a a gardening business for about six, six years or so, um, when I was living in Maryland and DC. And so, um, and so I, I knew that I always wanted to live a certain way. I needed land that I could grow. I wanted to feed my family with the things that I grew. Um, and I wanted to learn how to, to, um, to raise animals, you know, some, and I, I even took like a beekeeping course through the U, right. So I've been like kind of learning, while living in the cities and in apartments and not having access to any land, I've just been kind of like planning and learning to inevitably have this life, you know? Um, and so when we were, I guess this was 2021, we moved here, but in tw- yeah, but in 2020, we were like, okay, you know, we've got these two kids. We're living in a two-bedroom apartment. We were building managers trying to save to buy a home. And um, our kids were like really rambunctious, really loud, really. We were like, oh, y'all need space. And then we too are like a little bit loud. Yeah. Introverts so who are we, loud. What's that? Introverts who are loud. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Seriously. It was... Yeah. So we were like, okay, so this apartment living can only last so long, you know, um, like just the, we talk loud, you know, we like, everything's just really loud. So, um, and I'm very sensitive to sound. And so I was, I didn't want to feel self-conscious about, you know, like how my family was affecting other people. 
like on top of already wanting to have land and and animals and and this and that, I was like, oh, we actually need space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, so we looked, and it was you know that was like that was everybody was looking to buy around that time. Everybody was sick of being at home. Everybody was trying looking for a homestead. Everybody was looking for land. Everybody with kids was like, we need space. We need, you know, we need to get out of here yeah. and we need space. Every, yeah. You know, right. Everybody was doing online learning and working remotely. And um, so we looked really across almost the whole state. Like we looked at a lot of places across the whole state. And then we found this gem we were um, visiting a. We were we were offered a place to stay um, when things were getting a little bit heated in the cities. Um, it was, I think, during the Chauvin trial, mm. um, and I had been in LA during, um, after the Rodney King verdict. And I was like, I don't want to be here for the verdict, you know? So, so I was like, just looking for a place to retreat and take the family. And so, um, a friend of a friend, I don't know, really artist community came to the rescue. People that I hadn't met before, um, offered a space to stay this house on a five acre, five acre property in twin inlets in the two inlets, excuse me. And, um, and while we were up here, I found this house for sale and my real estate agent like drove up from Minneapolis and we made it happen. Yeah. So, so interestingly, like this was the place where we're like, okay, like this was, the place. We were like, this is home. My son was just like, when do we move in? I'm like, hold on. We've got to have the, there's a whole process, yeah, you know? Yeah. And he, and we had brought the kids with us to each showing and, you know, he had never reacted in the way that he did to this property. My husband, and I just knew like, this was the right fit. You know, it was, it kind of, it's surrounded by trees. It's a three acre property. And it kind of just like encased us in a way that felt like safe and like a hug, you know? And so, so it worked out and, um, and we moved in, I think in like June or so of 2021 and we immediately got to work, you know, um, I did, uh, like the sheet mulching method of, of, um, kind of getting rid of your lawn and turning it into, you know, a garden patch. So I did that. Um, my son helped me. I think he was like maybe three at the time. He helped me like, yeah, make this, I think like 20 by 30 foot patch uh, that was, you know, to prep for our garden. And we moved slowly, right? So we did sheet mulch and that was in the summer. So we couldn't plant anything. And then we waited for the whole spring. And then by the time the spring came around, you know, after the snow thawed, which by the way, we, th- we typically get about three feet of snow. Yeah. You're up back there, aren't you? Yeah. We're up, we're up here. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little colder. It's a little colder up here. Yeah. Still for a little longer. <laughs> yeah. It's just a little bit longer. Yeah. So we got three feet of snow and, um, it, you know, melted, washed away. And we had this beautiful soil, you know, added some compost on top of that. My husband built an amazing fence, you know, and so now we have a 600 square foot, you know, vegetable garden and and with an herb garden in the center. Um, we, I think the next year got our first five chickens. And so last all, you know, beginning kind of the spring of this year, we were able to have eggs. Now we have another five chickens. So we have a total of 10 chickens right now. Um, and then I'm thinking of bees still. And also I just texted my husband a couple of days ago saying like, how do you feel about a pet cow? You know? And he was just like, you're, you're funny, but I think I, it might happen. Do you know what I'm saying? Look, right. Pets. Yes. They are. Yes. Lovely. They're loving. They're like big yeah. dogs. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it might happen. And then we started the orchard in the front. So we've got three apple trees, two plum trees and a whole bunch of like elderberry and, you know, red currant and lots of bushes, blueberry bushes and raspberry bushes in the front. So, so it's like a work in progress, but that also, especially having the chickens, I am outside every day 
year round, you know, taking care of the chickens, making sure that they have what they need to be warm and hydrated. And, you know, so that has also kind of helped me adapt to the climate and be able to like, I used to bundle up going outside, you know, and now I'm just like, oh, yeah. Pick on some sh- some shoes, I guess. And like yeah. there's acclimation, right? Like you do get acclimated. You get out there and then slowly it just becomes easier and easier and yeah. easier until it's just like part of what yeah. you do. Yeah. This this summer or, or or winter, I'm going to try to see if like when the weather allows and if I can keep a spot clear enough, like if I can do like some yoga in the mornings outside like in the cold. I just am curious about that. You know, I'm just There's curious. So we'll see if I can do that. Snoga. There's snoga. There's snoga. You can okay, find listen. it. Yeah. There's yeah. snoga. Snoga. I'm, 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 I did not know. I think that is so clever. Mm-hmm. So like, you're actually in the snow. You're not just like outside. You're like in the snow. With oh, it. you're like in the snow. I think you have, you have yeah. your yoga mat and you're in the snow. Yeah. They've, I've seen, they, I, I tried to do it on Lake Minnetonka like last year and then, yeah. and then I don't know, the weather was bad. So I didn't even get out there, but I think it still went on. And okay. I know there's some places in the city that actually will do snowga throughout the year. So, okay. Okay. Well, I will try. I mean, and again, like you said, like I live in a pretty, like, there's not a lot up here, you know, there's like a small, 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 but mighty like art community. Um, you can lead the snowga. Yeah, I can lead the snowga. I can lead a snowga class. <laughs> Maybe the chickens are preparing you for this moment. I think that they have been between cold shower, occasional cold plunge. <laughs> now I'm ready to lead Snowgo with okay. my two. I'm finally putting my Kripalu training. Oh my gosh. It is all coming. Thank you full very circle. much. Yeah. It's all coming full circle. I'm here for it. Who well, else wants to join? Drive up north. <laughs> I feel like many people would. You're, it sounds dreamy. It sounds dreamy. It way. is. It's pretty idyllic. Yeah. And the kids love it. And, you know, like my son was like talking to me about fossil fuel in the car. Like, so he cares about the environment. He cares. He understands nature. He understands harm and like our uh, impact mm-hmm. on, on the planet. And, you know, I, I just am like, okay, like you're, you're going to be a generation of kids that, that can, that can really come up with some solutions. You know, he was like, we got to go solar mom. He's five. I'm just yeah. like, you're right. Yeah. We do got to go yeah. solar. You know, the chicken coop is already solar. Yeah. There's like, you know, there's areas that are solar, but yeah, like he, he's making me fast track the house, like becoming solar as well. So, yeah. so what about that? What about the um, connection between sustainability and seasonal living? I mean, I know we made the connection. Yeah. The connection. Um, mm-hmm. are there other ways that we could kind of connect the two? I think so. And I feel like I'm still exploring them, but I feel like, um, there's something in, uh, you know, I, I was the person who in the winter really cranked the heat. Mm-hmm. Like I would crank the heat in the house. Um, and I am now challenging that as well. Right. Like, I, am I, do I need to be this warm? Mm-hmm you know, is this my only definition of comfort? You know, like how can I really experience and embrace this season without causing harm to the planet, which will change the seasons that I, that I love and know, right. And that are for this, this area, you know, um, for this region. Right. So if it's supposed to be cold and snowy in Minnesota, like let's keep it cold and snowy in Minnesota. Right. And so, um, so I am going to be turning down the heat. Like it's not going to be like 72 all winter. Like it was last year. Nobody get mad at me. I'm trying. I'm a work in progress. Yeah. But so, Yeah, but so, you know, like at least I think I've been slowly turning it down and like seeing if the kids notice, do they sleep the same? How does my husband sleep? You know, all of those things. Cause he's Cuban. So he, like, he's like, he's he's ready for me. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, the thing that's hilarious is that he was the one who's out there with the kids every day playing in the snow. Uh Like he just embraced it. He'll walk to the store, you know, half a mile in the snow. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been pretty interesting. So, 
So I think, yes, definitely like the way that we warm our homes and try to stay in spaces of comfort, like that has impacts on the environment, you know? Um, and so I think that there's some, there's something there that we could really look at and that I will, that I will be exploring. Um, and yeah, I think just when we overuse resources that aren't available, yeah, period, year round, that's when we really get ourselves in trouble. Um, so a lot of it is about like education and doing our research and reading, you know? And so, yeah, it's, a, it's, everybody is a work in process. Nobody can know everything, but as you find information out, are you going to act upon it or not? You know, right. like, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to always at least act upon it, you know, and be in care. Yeah. Okay. So with that, I feel like that's a really nice segue into mm-hmm. the discussion about the Great Northern Festival. Oh, cool. Yeah, let's do um, it. Because I I love, I love it. Um, oh, yeah. I went Me to too. a bunch of the talks last year and I went wow. to the village. And I would love, I mean, just the idea of, you know, the education, deciding if you're going to act on things. Like, that's mm. why I thought this would be like this perfect moment for us to maybe talk a little bit about, you know, what the festival is. Um you know, what your, what the particular goals are and maybe like a sneak peek into what maybe we can expect this year. There's a lot of amazing programming on the slate for 2024. So, so many things to look forward to and it's really hard to narrow them down. There's 50 events, um, 50 events. Yes. This is Um, how many days? Over the course of 10 days across the Twin Cities and the conversations and discussions that you were, sorry, that you were talking about are a part of our climate solution series. Um, And so that, that takes place at ASI at the American Swedish Institute. So that will be, we'll, we'll be there again this year. And we're looking at, I think, 15 different panels, 12 to 15 different panels. Yeah, all uh, all really tackling different um, areas of climate um, issues, sustainability, um, and climate justice. So there's a lot of different areas, right? So um, I will say one that I'm actually really looking forward to is careers in climate. I'm always here. Yes. I'm always here to activate the youth. Right. Like, right. I'm, I'm really excited about, about that one. I'm, I'm excited about the, the potential of sharing um, unexpected jobs in the climate space. Right. So it's not a whole bunch of scientists. There are designers, there are architects, right? There are a lot of different people that are going to be talking about their work within the climate space and how it kind of crosses into climate justice. Um, So that'll be a really exciting one. So I'm really looking forward to one of the panels with Gloria Walton. And Gloria Walton is the president and CEO of the Solutions Project, um, which this particular talk will be like an engaging kind of fireside chat um, talking about her insights on climate justice and the important of the importance of community-led solutions. Um, so she is a renowned community organizer, a writer, a speaker. She's dedicated to um, to advancing climate justice and kind of like building power and equity for a regenerative economy. Mm -hmm. So that kind of like crosses into all of the things that I love and care about. And like, in Mm -hmm. my mind, I'm, I'm thinking of these things all the time and am not always sure how to, to activate and like become a part of solutions. And so I'm really, yeah. So I'm really interested. I think that anybody who's interested in kind of like learning how they can become a part of a solution should definitely come to that talk. That's going to be, I think, super informative. Um, So I'm trying to think if there's any others, there's some other programming that I'm really excited about too. One is um, a, it's uh, called The Last Supper. It's a dinner with Sam Cass and Andrew Zimmern. Um, and they're going to be serving a menu of foods that will be extinct, essentially, on the verge oh. of extinction. Yeah, if climate oh. I mean, that's just, I mean, not cool, in- but like, 
right? Yeah. Right. So it's like amazing and delicious and every, and then you're also, you, you get hit with the fact that like, this will no longer be available because of climate change. Right. So that is going to be really exciting. I'm also really jazzed about, um, we are in partnership with Silverwood and they put on something called the Midwinter Melt. And this they'll be collaborating with us in a really big way um, for this upcoming Midwinter Melt. And so it's going to be just like a lot of really fun family outdoor activities with activities on the lake and a lot of luminaries and um, foot golf and, you know, just a lot of kind yeah. of, out, I know it's going to be outdoor fun for sure. I think there's s'mores involved. So I can't wait to bring my family to that yeah. I know I know bring me to a s'more really um any s'more I'm excited <laughs> about um there's also going to be like some cool art activations so um Morgan Thorson is going to be doing a performance on the frozen lake at Silverwood um I think that's called Untitled Nights and that's going to be I think really beautiful but it it kind of addresses the changing um night skies right um yeah so 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 that's going to be I think a really kind of it, it, you know, interesting and insightful activation, you know, something that really kind of gets you to feel through not only the movement, um, but also like the, the, um, the environment that it's taking place within. So that'll be a really exciting activation. Um, so, and always the sauna village, it's bad. which it's back. The Sauna Village isn't going anywhere. The Sauna Village is a staple, great northern activation, okay? It's like our centerpiece. Um, so that will again be at Malcolm Yards. Um, we are uh, going to be having at least 20 um, different sauna experiences. And we're also kind of programming the saunas a little bit more this year. So there will be like family nights or family days at the sauna village. There will be um, different affinity nights like BIPOC, queer, trans affinity nights. There will be um, body positive affinity nights, you know, so, because it's a very, it can be very vulnerable yes, to be in the sauna in your yes. bathing suit with people that you may or may not know. But we want to make it a really welcoming and healing and fun place to be. Um, so that'll be exciting. And then two of our other partners are right in that same kind of like triad of, of businesses in that same area. So Surly Brewing, we, we're partnering with them again. They're a sponsor and O'Shaughnessy Distillery. And um, O'Shaughnessy will have a signature Great Northern drink that people should definitely go and check out. I think it's a hot toddy of, of a sort. Um, and and there's also some programming dance church at, at Surly. So, um, so it'll be, it'll be a lot. I mean, really we're, it's 50 events, countless venues, yeah. you know, we are, we're spread across the cities. And I think that one of the things that I always love about the great Northern, obviously I'm the executive director now, but before, right. I was just a participant. I would just go to things, um, is that like you, there's something for everybody. If you're interested in the arts, there's plenty of art, act, art activations, there's um, theater productions, there's symphony orchestra, there's, you know, dance, um, there's um, outdoor uh, installations, right? If you're interested in food, there's amazing food pro programming to experience. Um, if you're interested in, um, in kind of like the outdoor you know, space, or if you're interested and you've never done it before, we have triad activities as well. That will be happening at the mid midwinter melt as well. Um, so for folks like me who have maybe never been on a frozen lake or never been on a fat tire bike, right? All of those types of activities happen during the Great Northern. So it's a place for people who are you know, kind of like almost novices want to be yeah. like, I, you know, want to be beginners in the outdoor space. And also, you know, folks that, you know, have their winter routines of recreation already um, to be able to really, to really enjoy the winter as well. Right. And then obviously that thread of climate, um, 
you know, weaves through all of our programming, but is highlighted uh, specifically at the Climate Solution Series. So it's oh just... Yeah, just come. Oh, We're also. Important. I always say, like, yeah. how do I know if I'm going to love something if I never get the opportunity to try it? Like, yeah, that tire bike is really expensive. Like, you're not going to yeah. just go buy one because you think you might like it. You know, right? Like, these kind of right. opportunities to get on one and try it out could be that thing yeah. that just sparks some interest. You know, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I've never tried it, and there is a fat tire bike shop only fat tire bikes, a shop in town in park rapids i'm like what uh do i want and it's like a part electric and you know and i'm like that's that's a big investment i don't know if i want to do that yeah Yeah. so so definitely being able to try it is is huge um and just get over that fear and but like being like doing it in a group being Mm -hmm. educated at the same time and and you know i would love to expose my kids to ice fishing, being on a frozen lake, you know, things like that, that I being from originally from Los Angeles have no clue about. Right. Right. I mean, I've lived in Minnesota for, for over 10 years now, but you know, that makes me an expert only at, you know, how to like shovel my driveway (laughs) and drive in the cold. Right. I think us Minnesotans, we sort of take certain things for granted. Like I grew up here. So ice fishing to me was just always something that people did here. And I'm used to seeing the little houses on the lake and people with the the holes and knowing that people just go out there for hours and hours. And that sometimes it's not even about fishing. It's about camaraderie, socialization. And I was an event planner many years ago and we would bring people on like from different places. Yeah go ice fishing because they had no clue that it even existed. You know, there's a lot of things that we just don't, we just take for granted because we live in a particular climate and we, you know, participate in certain activities. So exactly, exactly. And I think that getting people to participate in those activities and to recognize that they are site specific, they are like specific to this region, to this climate, that if you care about those activities, then you care about climate. Yes, you do. You know, mm-hmm. you care about climate. If you want to be able to do those activities in the winter, you rely on them. It's a part of who you are, your identity, your routines, your practices. Then that means you care about climate. Yeah. You don't have to understand the science of everything, right, to care about climate. And I think that that's part of what the festival does too, is like really bringing home what it means to care about climate. And, and be a climate activist. Yeah. I think that festival too. I, I had a guest on the podcast um, a few, like a month ago or whatever. And he introduced me to this term called evidence-based hope. And I love the idea of it because yes, exactly. Because, you know, you can get so depressed and like the eco-anxiety, I mean, how that's part of the dictionary now, but how we need examples of things that are actually happening and people who are doing the good work who are coming up with solutions that actually can get us out of this mess. And if we focus on that, then we're empowered. And then we take the steps to potentially make change ourselves, you know, instead of focusing on how bad things are, this is melting. I'm so unhappy. I'm just going to blah, like I'm going to move here. I'm going to, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. embrace like the hope that exists in our communities and then, Mm -hmm. you know, take it and do something with it. Absolutely. I love that. That's evidence-based hope. Come on. Yes. I wish we could weave that into our mission statement. That (laughs) is exactly what it feels like to be a part of the Great Northern. Absolutely. To attend and to be a part of the staff. Like it it feels like you are a part of that evidence-based hope. I love that. That's perfect. Yeah. So the Great Northern Festival will take place from January 25th to February 4th, 2024. Um, But the Sauna Village is going to be opening early because it was so popular last year. We want to make sure that everybody is able to get a slot. So that's going to be opening January 19th and will be open the duration of the festival. So make sure you get your tickets. It's exciting. And also this will be the first year that we have festival passes. So yeah. So for anybody who has participated in the past, they know that they had to kind of like register for events separately. Now you will be able to have this one-stop shop attendee experience to kind of curate your agenda 
um, buy tickets to paid programming and also attend free programming. Um, it's all still possible, but it will be within um, one website um, that will be launched and go live November 14th. So that will be when tickets go live for the well, Great Northern Festival. you've been busy then, huh? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we Do This for Fun is brought to you by Boreal, a catalyst for wellness transformation inspired by the beauty of the North. Boreal helps people find and align with nature to power individual health and wellness. Wellness coaching, plant-based and outdoor cooking classes, camping wellness retreats, and more. Learn more at Boreal.com. That's B-O-R-E-A-L-L-E.com. It would mean so much to us if you would follow and subscribe to the We Do This For Fun show page on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's easy. Just hit the plus sign or click on follow. many of you read reviews for outdoor gear to help make purchases for your outdoor adventures. The more reviews, the more likely you are to purchase or take a brand seriously. It's like that with podcasts too. We'd love for you to give us a five-star review. And after you've done that, just share a quick comment about what you like about We Do This For Fun. Please share our episodes. Help us make an impact because everyone deserves to have fun out there.